0: Continuing our study of Philippians chapter 2, and I'm reading from verse 12 today. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you have tuned in for the first time in the study of Philippians, you may be puzzled by verse 12, and I want to point out that it does not say that we should work for our salvation, but rather work out our salvation, because salvation is a gift. It is not something we work for or that we try to get by our effort. The Christian faith is an announcement of what God has done, not what we do for God. And I think, by and large, many people have this backwards. They think being a Christian is living a so-called Christian life, doing certain things that other people don't do. That's not it at all. Salvation is what God does for us. It's a gift of God that is given to us when we believe in his Son, who was the only righteous one who ever walked on this earth. Instead of trusting in our own righteousness, we trust in the one who is the righteous one. And God counts his righteousness as our righteousness. That's known as imputed righteousness. If you've been reading the Old Testament, you, of course, are familiar with the problem the Jews have, trying to seek their own righteousness instead of accepting the righteousness of God. And I am afraid that there are some people who don't know that God has a righteousness that he is trying to give to men. Romans 3.21 talks about that. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed, apart from law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And I emphasize who believe, not who try. Now the news doesn't get any better than that, that God is giving what we need desperately in order To enter his kingdom, he's giving it through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that makes Christ very, very important, of course. Now, I call your attention to the preposition in verse 13. For God is at work in you. That preposition conveys the great New Testament truth that believers are the temple of God by the fact that he has given us his spirit to indwell us so god works in us through his spirit if you have believed in jesus christ for salvation the spirit of god indwells you and don't let anyone confuse you about it by saying you need to do something else or have some kind of an experience before the holy spirit comes to indwell you i'm reminded of what jesus said in john chapter 7 On that great day of the feast he stood up and said, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. And John the Apostle adds this in verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, which those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here is the truth that Jesus announced even before his crucifixion, that everyone who believed in him would receive that Spirit. In the epistle to the Galatians, we read something similar. In chapter 3, verse 14, that in Christ Jesus... The blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And that's the only way you can receive the Spirit. And without the Spirit, you won't really be a Christian. For Paul wrote to the Romans and said, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. We are never told to seek the Spirit or ask for the Spirit. But we are told to believe in Christ and then he will come and indwell us when the spirit comes into the life of the believer he comes to bring the life of Christ but in addition to that there's a practical reason it's given in philippians 2:13 at least a partial answer to will and to work for his good pleasure now he wills that means There's a divine influence on your choices that God wants to make. He works not for your good pleasure. It says for his good pleasure. When we pray, don't we usually ask things for our good pleasure? Well, verse 13 ought to correct that human desire. We ought to be praying for his good pleasure. We ought to be praying so that we can help accomplish those things that... Jesus is interested in and that he was occupied with. The apostles prayed that way. They didn't ask things for their own pleasure or for their own comfort. Now we come to verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. In the Greek New Testament, the words... All things do without grumbling. That's the emphatic position, and Paul wants to emphasize in everything. Now, is it all right to grumble in some things? We don't like to be around people who grumble. We like people who show some enthusiasm and get with it and do what they need to do and do it happily. That's contagious. The fact that Paul writes this implies that there was a problem in the church and perhaps it was caused by some of the grumbling, which led to disunity. Now the word grumble is the translation of a Greek word that imitates the sound designated by the word. In English, we call it onomatopoeia. You may remember that from your high school English days. This refers to a word that is formed by imitating a sound such as buzz, sizzle, or splash. These words came into existence when their sounds were expressed. For example, we say the bee buzzed me, or the bacon sizzled. Now here in this text, the Greek word is gongudzo. It means to murmur in a low tone, and the word represents the sound it describes. Murmur does that exactly in our language also. When people disagree in a meeting and some discuss a matter among themselves while perhaps the speaker is still speaking, the sound is murmur, murmur. Well, that apparently is what was happening in the Philippian meetings. I gather from the text here that when one grumbles, he is not blameless and he is not innocent. Certainly the children of Israel were not blameless. They complained against Moses and against God. This happened near the end of that 40-year journey in the wilderness on their way to the land of Canaan. God was with them. He fed them with manna. He guided them. He gave them water God's care for them is incredible, so much so that many scholars don't even believe the record that's written in the Old Testament because God took care of so many, many people. Even their sandals did not wear out, but they grumbled, and God sent judgment as a result of it. And that judgment was fiery serpents, according to Numbers chapter 21. And the serpents bit the people, and many of the people died. And when they realized what was happening, they came to Moses and said, Please pray to God. Ask him to take away the serpents. And Moses did pray. But God didn't take away the serpents. But God gave them a remedy for snakebite. Yes, it's a remedy for snakebite. He said, make a serpent out of bronze and set it on a pole, and whoever is bitten when he looks upon the serpent on the pole, he will live. Now that demonstrated the compassion of God and his care for those people. And we read in the historical books of the Old Testament that some 700 years later when Hezekiah became the king and brought reformation to Israel that he found the people had been burning incense to that bronze serpent. And he took it and broke it in pieces because they had made it an idol. But I have been led to believe by the story that no one ever died of a snake bite in those 700 years in Israel because all they would have had to do was look at the serpent and believe God. And they were delivered from it. Now, I don't bring up this story to... Suggest that perhaps if you grumble about things in the Christian life that God is going to zap you and send some kind of a plague or bring judgment on you. We're not in the day of judgment. We're in the day of grace. And God is not described in the New Testament as the God who judges his people, but rather the God of all grace. Judgment is coming, and that will come in the future. He's going to judge the whole world through his Son, Jesus Christ, and he'll judge them according to my gospel, Paul wrote. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ... Fear not the judgment that's coming, for Jesus himself promised us in John chapter 5. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment. Now that's a promise. And he preceded that statement by saying, truly, truly, he wants you to believe that. Why should we be judged for our sins? In some future day, we're not going to be judged for future sins. You'll be judged for your works as a Christian, but this has nothing to do with eternal life, for that, this judgment will take place in heaven, at the judgment seat of Christ, where we receive what we have done in the body, whether it be good or bad. But never will the Christian face judgment for sin because Jesus took our judgment on the cross. All of our sins were laid upon him and God judged him. He took our place in that judgment. So the Christian's judgment is past, not future. Because when Christ died, that was my judgment. God inflicted punishment on him Instead of on me, that's how good God is. Thank God for his grace. The Radio Bible Course is an independent Bible teaching ministry supported by friends and listeners. We're grateful to God for the believers in the Baton Rouge and New Orleans areas who have supported this broadcast since 1986. If you are being blessed by these broadcasts, we invite you to tell us about it. The Radio Bible Course sponsors a Bible class on Sunday mornings. We invite you to attend. That begins at 9.15 each Sunday morning. People attend this class to get verse-by-verse Bible teaching. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calabota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.